Well, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Trevor. Uh, lots of familiar faces, but for those who don't know me, uh, I'm not on the staff team here, but I'm part of the wider preaching team, and I've been preaching God's Word for well over 20 years. I do have a day job. My day job is to play a bit of golf, a bit of horse riding, reading books, walking the dog, going out for coffee. That's an in-joke for those that know I'm a teacher. <laughs> so it's only a third of the year I'm doing that. Um, my, current, my, <laughs> my current biblical interests are uh, reading and reflecting on all the Psalms in order, one by one, and 86 done, 61 to go. Our summer series this year is, uh, at our morning services, is looking in some detail at Exodus chapter 34, which was just read for us, verses 6 and 7. That's where God proclaims his name, declares his character, after Moses has pleaded with him, please show me your glory. So let's pray for us before I begin with these words. Father God, Lord Almighty, please show us your glory. May the words of my lips and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So through July and August, we're breaking down Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, idea by idea. God proclaiming his name and declaring his character. The Lord which is the way it's represented in our Bibles, God's name, Yahweh. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. These are the ideas we're going to break down. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, but who by no means will clear the guilty. So last week, John started off with the first point, Yahweh. So this week, we move on to the second point which is Yahweh. You see, God declares his name twice. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, and it's repeated because it's important. So if it's important to him, it's important to us, so we shall repeat it too. The sermon title this week is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Our readings were from Exodus 34 and Colossians chapter 2. And we have a theme to investigate. Now, usually my sermon preparation is to take a single passage and to pull it apart, to prod it, stretch it, to dive deep into it. But this has been different, and it's been great fun to actually look at lots of passages and pull them together. So instead of one passage and pulling it apart, taking lots of passages and pulling them together, I thought of it as stitching them together with a single thread that is the name Yahweh. So we'll start in the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, and we'll explore God's name there. Then we'll move on to consider Jesus in the New Testament, and finally, what about us? What does it mean for us? So let's start at the very beginning, because as Julie Andrews sang, it's a very good place to start. That's where you're supposed to all join in. <laughs> Do, re, mi, fa, sol, ti, do. So the very first verse in God's word, first verse of God's word, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word here for God is Elohim, 
And those Hebrew scholars amongst you who graduated from John's sermon last week will know already that that is the Hebrew word, it's a general word for gods, Elohim, gods. The significance here, however, is the singular form of the verb to create. This is one God, one Elohim, one God at work creating everything from nothing. Now, the idea of one God may not stir any response in you at all. It might be that your worldview matches that based on your Western Christian upbringing and adult life. It might mean that when you hear that sentence, you focus on in the beginning and you ponder on the idea that there was a point in time when all this started. Or you might ponder on created the heavens and the earth. Oh, okay, at that point in time, everything that is came into existence. But if you were living in ancient Mesopotamia and were familiar with other contemporaneous stories of creation and flood, stories with multiple gods, powerful beings at war with one another, you would have been struck by this claim of a single creator god. If you had lived in ancient Egypt or in the Greco-Roman empires, the idea of a single god would have caused pause for thought. I always thought that's a good name for a dog rescue charity, pause for thought. Does anyone know that one? But let's not consider only ancient peoples and civilizations because I know that a good number of us in this church family good number of you have grown up in, lived in, worked in, and certainly visited countries where the worship of many gods is perfectly normal. I've had the pleasure of visiting southern India twice and loved exploring the many temples and seeing the multiple shrines, elaborate shrines to Shivu, Vishnu, Brahma, Ganesha, and many, many more. Each god having multiple forms, some say as many as 33 million gods or forms of gods or demigods in the Hindu faith. And later, I'll mention the growth in pagan beliefs in the West through the last century, belief systems of many gods and many spirits. So please don't think that the word God will have the same meaning to everyone you meet. If someone says they believe in God, we must ask, which God? And we must be clear who we are speaking of when we say we believe in God. We are speaking of the one true creator God of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, El Shaddai, meaning God Almighty, mightier than any other gods, and our God has a name, so there can be no confusion. Yahweh, which means I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Now, some further Old Testament texts. The Bible is clear, Jesus is clear, so let me be clear. There is a spiritual realm that is real and has power in this world. Satan the devil is real, and he has real power and influence in this world, as do other spiritual beings, other Elohim. And as with Satan, those powers can work against us and to deceive us. But within that spiritual realm, Yahweh is almighty. So listen to these words from Job, chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh, and Satan also came among them. It's a picture of a sort of spiritual council, and even Satan is there conversing with God Almighty. The psalmists write of the Elohim, the gods too. Psalm 86, among the gods there is none like you. Psalm 96, 
Great is Yahweh and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 97. Worship him, all you gods. For you, Yahweh, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted above all gods. Angels and demons are real. But like us, they are part of creation, far beneath Yahweh. But they have power. Listen to this from Daniel chapter 10. Daniel's been praying and fasting and waiting on God. And then he sees a vision of a man from God who speaks to him and says, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. The prince of Persia, a spirit seemingly having power over a geographical region and over the rulers of that region. This messenger from God says, I was left there with the kings of Persia until Michael, that's the archangel Michael, came and helped out. What about the Exodus? Moses and Aaron leading God's people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt to a place where they can worship Yahweh in freedom. Recall the ten plagues God brings on Egypt as Moses keeps returning to Pharaoh to plead with him, let my people go. First, you will recall before the plagues, Aaron's staff turns into a snake. Then the plagues follow. Water into blood, frogs, gnats from dust, flies, Guernsey's having that one at the moment, livestock die, boils from ashes, hail, locusts, darkness for three days, and then death of the firstborn. While on the face of it, these may seem a bit random, historians and commentators have made credible links between each one of those plagues and a specific Egyptian god, up to and including Pharaoh himself, who was worshipped as a god. Yahweh is greater than Hapi, the god of the Nile, Heket, the god with the head of a frog, Geb, the god of the earth, and so on. Isis, the goddess of medicine. Ra, the sun god. You see, Yahweh is to be feared above all gods. While we would rightly say those Egyptian gods were false gods, same as we would say about Zeus and Aphrodite and all them there on Mount Olympus, same as we would say of Shiva and Ganesha and so on, we can say that there are spiritual powers at work which lead humans to ascribe that power to false gods. Note that Pharaoh called his magicians, and they too turned their staffs into snakes. They too turned water into blood. They too brought forth frogs. How could they do that? Only then, perhaps, does Yahweh bind the demonic powers, as after the second plague, the magicians can no longer match the miracles. And they tell Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They recognize the power of the God of Moses and Aaron, Yahweh, exalted far above all gods. On Mount Sinai, when God spoke the Ten Commandments to Moses, he said, I am Yahweh, who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Worship. Yahweh and Yahweh alone. His name is a declaration of who he is, 
and it distinguishes him from all other gods. Israel's failing was often to worship other gods alongside Yahweh, not always to drop him altogether. But still God said, no, I have a name. I have revealed myself by name. You worship me and me alone. Okay, you might say that's all academic. It makes sense for those ancient peoples dwelling cheek by jowl with those who worshipped false gods. But is that relevant to me here now in Guernsey? Well, yes, it is. So let's look briefly at some episodes in Jesus' life which reinforce those points about other gods, then we will consider us here now. The Apostle John tells us in his first letter, in chapter 3, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In the book of Acts, chapter 10, Luke tells us, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And in his opening chapter, the gospel writer Mark tells us, Jesus went through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Also, Mark writes of unclean spirits recognizing Jesus. And one calls out to him, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus silences that spirit and calls it out of the man whom he has possessed. And the spirit can do nothing but obey. Why? Because this is Yahweh himself commanding them. He who is to be feared above all gods, all Elohim. And you will know other Bible accounts, I'm sure, of Jesus commanding demons. The herd of pigs springs to mind. Remember also, Jesus spoke directly with Satan in the wilderness when Satan tempted him, just as Yahweh spoke with Satan in that opening chapter of Job. Also, Jesus tells his apostles just before he's crucified that Satan has asked to sift them. That's uh, not, not like a gentle dusting through a sieve of a bit of icing sugar. That's the, the, the wild shaking of, of the wheat being sifted. Satan has asked for permission to do that. But Jesus' prayer protects his apostles, except Judas Iscariot. So let's now look at the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, which was read for us. It's on the back of your uh, new sheet, and Julian might be able to pick up here. Verse 9. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, In Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form all the fullness of the deity. Christ and Yahweh, Jesus and Yahweh are one. Verse 10, he is the head over every power and authority. Jesus has that power, just as Yahweh has that power. Remember Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember Jesus claiming the name, I am Yahweh seven times in John's Gospel. So Jesus is the Almighty. Jesus is worthy of praise. Jesus is to be feared above all gods. Jesus is the Most High over all the earth and exalted far above all gods. And we see the ultimate victory over the devil and all evil on the cross. Now I love learning about 
what one might call a more complex theology around the cross. Concepts such as atonement, substitution, redemption, and so on. But for today, I want us to return to a simple idea, which was the church's dominant view of what happened on the cross for over 1,500 years up to the Reformation, and it's this. In Latin, Christus victor. Very simple idea. Christ is victorious. That's what happened on the cross. Christ is victorious. John Mark Comer, in his book, God Has a Name, puts it like this. Yahweh has been at war with the spiritual powers of the universe for millennia, and the cross is the decisive blow in his campaign against evil, the breakthrough victory. On the cross, Jesus defeated Satan, his pantheon of wild and dangerous beings, and even death itself. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, disarming, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, that is the demonic powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's a picture of a Roman military victory parade in Rome parading through Rome the the prisoners of war and maybe even the dead king of the country they've defeated or the region they've defeated. That's how Jesus disarmed the devil, powers and authorities by the cross. Christus victor. If we walk out of here remembering Christ is victorious, our week will go well. So we've looked at the Old Testament, we've looked at the New Testament, so finally what about us? Where does that leave us? So let's conclude. The one true creator God has declared his name, Yahweh. I am who I am. And he alone is to be worshipped and glorified. We've also established there is a spiritual realm. It was real then, it is real now. But Jesus, who is the fullness of the deity in bodily form, the fullness of Yahweh, He has disarmed Satan, his princes and his demons. So they have no hold over us. They have no power over us, we who are in Christ. But whilst the war is won, the battle goes on. Those Elohim, those other gods, are still active in the world today. People are ascribing demonic spiritual powers to false gods day in, day out. Satan has successfully convinced many that spiritual battles are the thing of fantasy fiction, horror films, or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Do not believe that. Satan has successfully convinced many that pagan gods have power in their lives through witchcraft. Wicca is one such movement, which spread through Britain in the last half of the the last century, and continues to grow in the United States and Europe. The hippie trail of the 60s and 70s brought Hindu ideas with their many gods into European paganism. Be careful of fuzzy boundaries between eco-activist groups and the worship of Mother Nature as a goddess. There are pagan organizations worldwide, and you will find pagan hospital and prison visitors under chaplaincy services. This quotation is from an NHS website from the west of England under their chaplaincy services. 
Pagans understand deity to be manifest within nature and recognize divinity as taking many forms, finding expression in goddesses as well as gods. This, friends, is the devil's work, giving credence to false gods, to Elohim, and taking hearts and minds away from Yahweh, the one true creator God. And I haven't even mentioned universalism, the idea that all gods and religions are just different paths up the same mountain leading to the same summit, nor have I mentioned atheism or humanism, which are well argued by articulate speakers and leaders. False, false, false. But time's ticking on, I must end. So, have no other gods before Yahweh. Remember, Christus Victor, Christ is victorious. And Julian, if we could just put up verse 8, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Let's take this instruction from Paul personally and corporately. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental, elemental spiritual force of this world, rather than on Christ. Christ.